Please take your Bible, if you would, and turn to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. I say this from time to time, I'm always so grateful, Jonathan, for how you lead us in these songs of worship and of praise, and I, I hope, uh, it's my sincere hope and prayer that you look at the words as you're singing, meditate on those words, and uh, I'm amazed at how often the words just um, parallel with what I plan to say in uh, the, the message today. Now, if you have not been with us Let me catch you up to uh, where we are today. We've been doing a study for several months through the pastoral epistles of Paul to Timothy and to Titus. We did 1 Timothy, and then chronologically we are doing Titus. Lord willing, uh, if he doesn't come back before we get there, we'll be in 2 Timothy, and we'll work through that. Working through Titus chapter 1, we find ourselves in Titus chapter 2, and we've been walking through this verse by verse, section by section, and we'll talk in a moment how important all of this is as it relates together for us. But let's look at the Word. I'm going to go ahead and just read all the way through. We're we're looking at verses 4 and 5. The big idea is today, Paul is, through Titus, speaking to younger women younger wives in the church. We've already talked about older men, older women. So, younger women and wives, it's your turn. And we'll listen to what God has to say. By the way, He always speaks. If you've got a listening ear, He's going to use something in this message. I don't care who you are, what age, what gender. God's Word, empowered by God's Spirit, will speak to you today. But we're going to go all the way back to the first verse and read all the way through verse 10. Kind of get a bird's eye view of everything that we've been looking at and will look at. Titus 2, beginning with verse 1. But as for you, Titus, teach, literally it's speak. You you just keep on. This is present. This is continuous. Speak what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself, Titus, as a young man, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, uh, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior." Father, these are uh, tremendous words that you give us. They're so deeply spiritual, highly doctrinal, and intensely practical. But Father, that's the way your word always is. It's not some high-minding ology that we can put on a shelf. Lord, it's something that will get into our hearts if we're open to having it put there. If we're prayerful today, you will take, by the power of your Holy Spirit, the Word that is put before your people, and it will produce good fruit. You've promised that. So, Father, thank you for that, and we pray now that uh, we would get exactly what you want us to get from this passage. I pray for uh, a, a sense of your anointing so that my words would be clear And uh, Lord, more than anything, it wouldn't just be my impressions, 
or uh, my, what, what I think about it, my opinions, but rather what you say about these important things. Thank you, Lord. We believe that you'll do that, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's an old saying, desperate times call for desperate measures. I think all of us in here today would believe that we are living in desperate times. And so these are desperate times, not just the days in which uh, Paul lived instructing Titus and Timothy, but really going all the way back, not just 2,000 years, but going back to the garden, going back to the first family who was living in the midst of, of, of a, could I say it, a dysfunctional kind of family situation. The first murder took place way back just after the garden, brother against brother. Times were desperate in the ancient world, and they are desperate today. They were desperate in Ephesus. They were desperate on the Isle of Crete. Now, with that, and we've got to see this, we will hammer on this, I will, over and over again, if we truly live in desperate times, what are the desperate measures, the most important measures that I can tell you? No, I just said it's not my opinion, it is the Word of God that you need to hear. Well, Paul answers that, and he says this. He says, but understand this, in the last days difficult times will come. Does everybody agree we're in those last days? Okay, here's what he said to Timothy, to Titus, to all of us who are in here. And he's been saying it to those of us who relate together as a family in this church setting, but also in our nuclear families as well. Preach what? The Word. We must be Word-centered and gospel-focused. Preach the Word, because Titus, that's your only hope. Timothy, that's your only hope. So, be ready with the Word in season and out of season, not only when you're up to bat, but even when you're sitting in the dugout. Be ready. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Now, I can get the reprove, rebuke, and exhort just fine. I, I, and maybe you can relate to me. I really have to ask the Holy Spirit to help me with complete patience and teaching. And I realize this more and more. More and more, folks, time is coming when people will not endure the sound teaching that we want to share with them. And, and that's exactly what he said to Titus. We just read it. As for you, speak, teach constantly the things which accord with sound doctrine. Now, I, I need you to hear me on this because this, this is where, this is where Paul instructs Titus to go. I'm fascinated about this. Let's go back to my original statement. Again, do you believe, and, and we're looking out here at our cultural setting, do you believe we live in difficult times? Okay. You would think, and sometimes people will say, okay, church, our job is to live in such a way and, and, and do life in such a way that we now here's the catch word. Here's the word that's used. Impact culture. If ever there was a culture that need Im needed impacting, it was the island of Crete. All of the ancient world. We'll find out in just a minute when we look at some of the description of, of, of the kind of lifestyle that people typically live. But isn't it amazing that here, and frankly, I can never find it in the New Testament particularly, where God mandates a cultural fix. In other words, making society more moral. He really doesn't do that. What he does is say, 
what I want you to do is to, to set the church in order. If the solution is the Word and the gospel, hear this, then the vehicle is the church, and within the church, where it really comes down to where the rubber meets the road, the real vehicle is the family unit within the church. And so it doesn't really surprise me at all that when the Apostle Paul says what he needs to say about here's what you do in desperate times, you need to go back to where I'm going to tell you, and that is the family within the church. Now, obviously, there are the relationships, older men, younger men. They, they exist. Without even being a part of a family, they exist. But you need to notice that this is what Paul tells Titus to do. And here are the reasons. This, this flows with what I'm saying about the, the real focus. Now, if, if we're doing what we need to do, will, in a sense, culture be effective? Yeah. We're not saying to totally divorce ourselves from culture. You've got to live out there, right? And what Paul is saying, and I want you to follow this, if you look at this and what I just read, you're going to see that there is a real sense in which we will impact those around us. Right family living that results in right church living will have an incredible impact. It's evangelistic. And that's why I wanted you to, I, I picked this out of what we just read. Why do older men, older women, younger men, younger women need to relate in the family and in the church in a certain way? just so we'll be happy and not fussing with each other? As I think of it, that's not all bad. There have been times when I've been counseling a couple and they're, wow, and, and I, this, this is not really straight from the Bible, but a good place to start is just be nice. <laughs> that's a good place to start, just be nice. But here is what he says, if you, if you will, will begin, and by the way, we're not going to get this perfect, this side of heaven, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be, listen, how many times do I have to say it, from the Word getting into our heart and the Holy Spirit who lives in believers fleshing this out in our marriages and in our families, and here's why. He gives two negatives. There's a purpose in this. He gives three purpose statements, two negatives and one positive. First of all, so that the Word of God will not be reviled. How many times have I heard an outsider outside the church, a non-Christian, I'm talking to him about the things of Christ, and what does he automatically do? Point to failures in the church. You don't have to look far. And so he says, live this way so that the Word of God will not be reviled. So sound speech that cannot be condemned. We may, we may be saying all the right things, but if the outworking of that, if the living out of that is not reality in Heritage Baptist Church, then there is a certain amount of pointing the finger from outsiders, that, con that condemnation, so that an appointment, uh, a potent, uh, uh, an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. We don't want to give them something unnecessarily evil to say about us. But then at the very end of it, and I know that's very specific to the, the slave issue, the, the, the slaves that are to live a certain kind of life. We'll get to that in maybe two weeks, how that fleshes out with everything. But then he gives a positive, and this is a positive. So we're going to talk to younger women today, specifically wives, because in context, that's what he's talking about. We talked to the older men. Last week, we spoke about the older women, and they're to be training, teaching, passing these things along. Ladies, if we don't do this with our daughters and our granddaughters, where are they going to get it?
And so if we're living that kind of life, we're seeking to do that daily. Look at this. So that everything they do may adorn. That word is, is really a neat word. It means it's the word from which we get our word cosmetic. Hmm. Cosmetics. Guys, do you like cosmetics? Not for yourselves, but for your wives. I don't know whether to thank you or pity you, Ed. That was a bold statement. We love cosmetics. Why? Because they adorn. I know all of you men think your wife is, is, is beautiful. They're just beautiful. But the old saying is just a little bit of paint on the barn, you know, always dresses up the place. Okay. Wait, 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 wait. We're not talking about that. We're talk- Look, we're talking about, about a lifestyle of purity and care. We're going to get into this in a minute. Purity and care that to a rotting, decaying world shines like a bright light. It adorns what we're talking about in the doctrine of God. That's why we're doing this. This is not just another series on how to have a happy family, how to have a 10 steps to have a happy marriage, and certainly those, those little tidbits, are, they, they can be helpful, but we're looking at what God says to be challenged by all of those things. See, we're, we're after seeking the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink or relate to your wife or relate to your children or relate to your parents or relate to your siblings, whatever, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, right? So that the word of God and the name of God will not be reviled. Because if you do not do these, if you are not, listen, if you are not doing these, you may not know it, but people will be looking and they'll be talking. The name of God is reviled. And all through the Old Testament with Israel and into the New Testament, God spoke of that often. Look at the, the first quote over there, apart from your notes, uh, from John MacArthur. It's just it's what I've been saying, but I, I, like, I, I like to quote people who can just kind of capture these things that I'm thinking about. Older women should teach younger women the skills and disciplines needed to have a successful home and marriage. Stop right there. Please listen to this. We don't have time to get into it. But please understand, you can teach not just out of perfection. And there are a lot of people who say, well, I can't teach because I, I've got a lot of error in my life. Don't teach out of error. Teach out of corrected error. And for the child of God, that's what our life is all about. Every day, the correction process. So we can teach. Look at that. Older women, let me go back, should teach younger women the skills and disciplines when they're in the home, when they're little bitty, all the way up, needed to have a successful home and marriage. There is nothing more important in life and relationships. Experienced wives and mothers will find their greatest avenue of ministry in teaching younger wives what they need to know to be effective. Wives, mothers, and homemakers. I couldn't have said it better. And so, God wants His, He calls them in uh, the, the first chapter and first verse, God's elect. That's who we are. God wants a people, the church, God's new society, made up of regenerate, please get that, individuals. We're not a way station for goats. Several weeks ago, we talked about this. We're, we're, we're teaching the sheep how to follow the master. And so what we want to do, I want to do, I want to have a heart like David. God say, here's a man after my own heart. Here's a woman after my own heart. Here's a teenager after my own heart, a young man, young woman after my own heart who relate to one another accordingly. Now, I'm going to jump into this, but let me just say this. 
I'm going to give one little disclaimer because you just don't, we just don't need to apologize for what God says. But we do need to understand that I, I, there are other teachings, but I don't know of any teaching like this on the role of, of, of womanhood. We've already talked about a little bit of that, three sermons back in 1 Timothy, the roles and responsibilities of men and women. But I don't know of anything in the Word of God, truths that are attacked more. Maybe attacked as much, but I don't know of any that are attacked any more than this teaching right here on how to be a godly young woman and wife. And even in the church, even in the church, God's Word has been minimized at best and even dismissed as irrelevant. And folks, again, we can go to all the isms and ologies that we want to, but that is that is a product of satanic influence. It goes all the way back to the garden, which when the enemy sought to reverse the roles and mess up everything in the home. Devastating consequences then. Devastating consequences right now. So, with that introduction, let's get started and go through. You say, boy, that's a long introduction. We'll be finished by time. Okay? Here's what he says. Train older women. We go back to that. Teach what is good and train the young women to love their husband. I'm putting all of this, stacking this all together because I think it goes together. This phrase, train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure. And it's going to take self-control, women, for you to love your husbands. All of you some of the time. Some of you all of the time. Okay. So here we are, best case scenario. A husband is doing what he needs to do. He is a born-again believer. He is spirit-filled. He knows Ephesians 5, 25, and he is seeking daily to love his wife as Christ loved the church. Sacrificially. That's the ideal. And on the other side of that is the woman, Ephesians 5, 22, who is lining up with. That's what the word submission means. It's a military term. She's getting in line with her husband's loving leadership, and there is absolutely no burdensome kind of idea in that kind of situation. Mutual leadership, headship, and submission always going together, spirit-led by the Word of God. What could be easier? But because we're not always spirit-filled and we're not always word-oriented, let's go back to these days when the Apostle Paul lived and we don't have a lot of, 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 of current circumstances. We do have some that, that could exist like this. But back in those days, just get the, the scenario that a wife on the island of Crete, she and her husband and her family, they, they are just, they're living as Cretans, okay? And the wife gets saved. Now, I mean, she gets saved. Now, that's a Baptist term. That's a biblical term. She gets saved, and she wants to start living according to the Lord, but her husband is still an unsaved Cretan. And her children have gotten old enough where they are also unsaved Cretans. So what's a Christian wife to do? That's, that's real life scenario then and now. Or what about an arranged marriage? That was probably the most common kind of thing. These days, 
young people just fall in love, and there's the dating, and that is fraught with all kinds of things. I'm not saying that we should go back to arranged marriages. I'm not not saying that we shouldn't go back to arranged marriages. Something to be said for that. But what about in a case like that where you meet the, the wife, meets the groom a week before the wedding is to take place? They haven't fallen in love. And then they get married. And right out of the chute, what does Paul tell Titus to tell that young wife? Love your husband, but I don't even know him. Love your husband. Now, bring that up to today. I don't know where all of you are, but this particular thing that we're looking at created, let me say it like this, a not always ideal situation, circumstances now, we just said that all of this is evangelistic. And what would happen in that Cretan culture if this young woman who had become a Christian all of a sudden began to love a husband that all of the people in their neighborhood knew was absolutely unlovable? Do you think they're going to notice? They may not like it. It may show up all the other wives. They may be against this woman. I'm telling you, this has the potential back then and today. Now, we are not talking about what the, what the culture defines commonly as love. It's not always a warm, fuzzy, emotional feeling. When I was a youth pastor, we used to go to camps. I remember, I just, just vivid, this young lady, really a sweet girl in our youth group. She came into the room, and she, she was just, oh, I mean, really walking that far off the ground, sat down in the chair, almost collapsed. I said, what is wrong? She said, I'm in love. Now, which, which interpreted meant she saw somebody. She didn't even have to meet him. But instantly there was this attraction. I'm not saying that's wrong, but see that you cannot build what Paul is telling Timothy to tell the women in the churches at Crete that this is not going to work because that feeling can evaporate just like that, right? What he's talking about is what the, the Bible talks about. It's a deep sense of of caring. It's a deep sense, ladies, of seeking the best for your husband. Paul said, be devoted to one another in love. That's probably about one of the best definitions that I could give you. Be devoted, young women, to your husband in love. Honor others above yourselves. Now, by the way, this is a command this is non-optional. Let me go back in, 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 in history, biblical history, and ask you a question. Who was David, I'm talking about King David, who was King David's wisest wife? Not shrewdest, there's an answer for that. You're right. It was Abigail. Let me tell you the story of Abigail. There was a guy that lived when David, who wasn't king yet, was running from King Saul, and, and, and this guy was extremely wealthy. We're going to read the scripture in just a minute. But while they were on the run, David and his men basically predict, protected this guy, his, his area, his crops, his family, all the rest of that. And so he went one day when he wanted to give his men something to eat, have a feast, and he went and said, can you spare a couple of sheeps? sheep because Nabal had, had gone up and he was shearing sheep and he thought, well, certainly this guy will do that. Well, he didn't. 
not only that, he, he just, he mocked David. It was very, he, he was just unkind to say the least. Now, let, let's pick it up there and, and read about this. Now, the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife was Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful. I am glad the inspired author of Scripture put it in that order. We always put it in the other order. Just as long as she's good looking, I'll put up with the rest. Ladies, as you get older, that physical beauty that our culture strives for so much is just going, I'm just telling you, it's going to decline. But discernment, if you're walking according to the Lord, is just going to get better. And that's why the, the, the quality of, of, of Abigail, she was apparently attractive, okay, physically attractive. I'm not downplaying that. But the key thing, she, she was wise. She was discerning. The woman, but the man, this is Nabal, was harsh and badly behaved. A worthless man. This is her description of him. That no one can speak to him. He has returned evil for good. And then she said about him, so his, as, so his name is, so he is. As his name is, so he is. Nabal is his name. And Nabal means fool. In other words, he was, he was thoroughly a Cretan. Okay? Because the Cretans were described as brutal, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. But Abigail loved Nabal. Did she have warm, fuzzy feelings for him? I don't know how she would have. Frankly, she loved him. She cared for him and wanted only the best. She genuinely cared for his welfare. So when Nabal refused David, his men went back and told him, David said to about 400 of his men, strap on your swords, we're going to pay Nabal a visit. We're going to extract the eight sheep and then some. In other words, we're going to kill him. Abigail was wise, she was discerning, and so she took some food, took some gifts, went to David, and she bowed down before him, and basically she, she begged for Nabal's life. And David spared him. True to form, he was, he was, a, he was a Cretan before Cretans existed, okay? He was a Cretan, and so he was drunk with all of his buddies, and as soon as he sobered up, Abigail told him that David was coming after him and basically that he wasn't anymore. And it scared him so much that he had on the spot, we don't know, he said his heart became a stone, either a, a heart attack or a, a, a stroke or something like that. And 10 days later, he died. Abigail became David's wife. Now, here is, here is the key that, that I, when I read that story, I thought, wow. You know what the opposite of love is? What's the opposite of love? Most people say hate. I don't think so. The opposite of love, caring love is indifference. And Abigail and you ladies, some of you, could be indifferent. I'm not going to go intervene for him. I'm not going to intercede for him. But she didn't. Same attitude towards your children. Kids are wonderful. They're, they're lovely, right? Amen? But sometimes they can be little cretins. Amen? Amen? Don't, young women, older women too, it's fair, that's fair. Don't be indifferent to your children, even when they are like that. Now, he goes on to mention something that is going to absolutely be essential if you're going to love your husband and your children. The next thing he mentions is self-control. 
and then purity. Those are connected. Love your husbands and children, be self-controlled and pure. And I think those are linked together. I've seen it happen over and over again in, in countless examples and in the church and out of the church. So a man, let's make this generic, okay? Woman without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Now that has to do with anger in, in this particular context. But in the context in which Titus is, is being instructed to tell the women it's not particularly anger. It could be anger. In other words, women be self-controlled with everything, including anger. But primarily, be self-controlled. You don't want to be like a city that's walls are down and broken into because of a relationship with a Cretan husband. Another translation says losing self-control leaves you as helpless as a city without a wall. And I've seen it happen over and over again that a young wife in a situation like that develops an ungodly attraction when the walls are down. Young men too, but here it's talking to young women and falls into an attraction with another man could lead to impurity. It happens. Not just because of experience, but because Paul told Titus, tell these younger women, love their husbands and children, be self-controlled in all purity. That is an absolute necessity. Let me, let me go back to this. How, how can you do that, young women? How can you do that? Well, David said it like this. The psalmist said it. How can a young man or woman keep his, her way pure? By guarding it according to his word. So you set your, the, his word into your heart and you guard your heart with his word. Simple? It's simple. That, that's simple to understand. Easy? It takes work and it takes discipline and it takes self-control. But if your heart is not guarded, if your emotions drive you, listen, if your emotions drive you, you're liable to end up into, in the ditch. But if you're guided and protected and guarded by the Word of God, and you say sometimes, Pastor, that is just impossible. We shared this verse last week. No, it's it's not impossible. It's something that takes a daily working out, the Word of God, the Spirit of God. And remember, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind or self-control is the translation of that word. That's the first phrase. Second, to be working at home. Older women, Teach the younger women in your home and in our church, both wives, these younger women, and wives to be what it means to be a biblical homemaker. Now, we're going to get a little bit more into the nuances of employment when we come to that word for slaves, okay? But right here, there is no doubt, and here is, here is what he is saying teach young women that no matter what, and this, this is transcultural and transgenerational. This is, for, this is forever. Teach them to focus on the home because that is the place where your young men and young women are going to be raised up. Don't let anything dilute you from teaching younger women, younger wives to be focused on the home. Now, the question that always comes up, I, I'm, I know it's a cultural question primarily. Does that mean that women can't work outside the home? Now, I realize that that can be a fair, legitimate question. 
But there are times when it becomes a question to mask taking the focus off of the home and putting it onto a career. There were plenty of women who worked outside the home or, or, or in, in conjunction with the home. Priscilla and Aquila, she helped him as a, in the occupation of being a tent maker. Lydia, she was a seller of purple fab, fabrics, apparently a very successful, but she focused on her home. And then we go to the classic passage of the excellent wife in Proverbs and you can see here there is this beautiful intertwining with the focus being on the home. An excellent wife, young or old, who can find she considers a field. There's a lot more in Proverbs 31, that excellent wife. But I wanted to show you what she does. She considers a field and buys it. Sounds like business to me. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. But all of this is for one goal, one focus. She provides for her household. And I love this. We're going to come back at the very end to this. And if she is doing that, she can laugh at the days to come. Marvelous, marvelous promise. Let's look at the next one. You with me? Okay, let's look at the next one. Be kind. Well, that's easy, isn't it? Just be nice, be kind. Older women teach younger women, young wives, to be kind, goodness, a pleasant demeanor. Now, older women, that may mean that you need to work on your demeanor because remember that teaching is most often caught and not just taught. So if you don't have that demeanor, a pleasant demeanor of kindness, even in the face of less than ideal circumstances, how are you going to transmit that ideal to a younger woman, a younger wife? Oh, well, the word helps, but we need to be filled with the Spirit. Love is patient and kind. It's always interesting how that kindness is linked with patience, isn't it? If, if, if you learn that, that, and it's also a spiritual fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is, guess what's right next to each other? Patience and kindness. And that's not automatic. Ladies, right? Men, that's not automatic. It's a, it's a matter of being filled with the Spirit on a daily basis. And to the extent that a woman or anyone else in this congregation is patient and kind, or let's look at the other side, is impatient or unkind, it will be an evidence of walking or of not walking in the Spirit. I encourage you to study what God's Word has to say about patience and kindness and attitudes and words and ask the Holy Spirit to check you constantly and to reveal to you when you become impatient and it spills over into harshness or unkindness. Let's move on to the next one, to be submissive to their own husbands. This is a parallel to being loving to your husband. It, it, to be loving is also to be submitting to the God-ordained role of headship. Now, said I only had one disclaimer. Here's a second. I fully realize that there are some men, even in the church, Lord, help us, please. Some men in the church have taken this truth and used it as a clobber verse. To go all the way back to the garden, to the curse and to dominate his dear wife. And heaven help us that we don't do that, that we see. Paul doesn't fall for the perversion of this. He just says it anyway. Wives, be submissive to your own husbands. He doesn't fall for the attitude that's in our culture, 
I'll meet you halfway. You do your part. I'll do my part. He just says, wives, submit. I shared this verse last week. I'll share it again. It is, it is vitally important. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. That's your own husbands. So that even if some of them do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Now, th- does that chapter start there? Or stop there? I'm sorry. Does it stop there? Does anybody know what it says after that? So I'm going to sneak in a little exhortation to the men. Let me say it like this before I read it. Husbands, are you, are you? I see the eyeballs of most of you. Okay. If you expect your wife to submit, give them something godly to submit to. Please. This is for me as much as anybody else in this room. And so he goes on in that passage in 1 Peter to say, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Your wife is a fellow heir. So men, treat her like that. Respect what she has to say as you lead her. And as she works with you, never against you, but with you, treat her as a fellow heir. And then at the last, he says that the word of God might not be reviled. Titus 2.10, showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. We said that just a few moments ago, and it is absolutely the case. Ultimately, the goal of your life is not first To be happy, the goal of your life is first to be holy. And the motivation for all of this grows out of that incredible, incredible power that the Holy Spirit gives you so that you will be able to laugh at the days to come. Ladies, listen to that. Laugh at the days to come. What does that mean? to look at tragic events and things around you and kind of with a, with a nervous laughter of avoidance, ha, 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 ha. No, this word is used of God when he mocks those who come against him, enemies who come against him. Why? Because God knows that they can't touch him. So he laughs at them in derision. This is the promise that he makes to you, women, in difficult circumstances, that you can laugh in derision at those things that the world will say will upset you and get you off of course because you have one in whom you depend and no one, not circumstances, not the puny men coming against you with all that they say can be used to upset you ultimately. If you are around here on various days and you see posters in various places, a lot of times you'll find that, that usually it's rocky, uh, has created a poster, maybe sometimes Jonathan, but these guys will, will, will take some things that we are looking at and considering, and they'll put a poster. Well, I tell you, some of these are just meaty. I don't know if it's still up, but last couple of weeks I've been looking at this poster from Tim Challies, who made this statement in the face of losing suddenly a son, an older teenage son. Well, I'll tell you, this, this is where theology gets into life 
and determines how we trust the Lord. Look what he said. Our confidence rests not in his explanation, but in his character. Which means you're going to have to believe that God is God and God is good. That's his character. Not in what he has done, but in who he is. The one who knows the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things which have not yet been done, saying, this is God speaking, my counsel will stand and I will accomplish all my good purpose. Older ladies, teach, speak to the younger ladies. From the time they're just able to understand all the way through until they're married, have children of their own, and even grandchildren, continue to speak these words, which are words of life that God has given to us. Father, I thank you for your word, and truly, you do give us the words of eternal life. I think of the disciples when you said some very hard things, and they, they were looking at all the crowds leaving the Lord Jesus. And Jesus turning to them said, do you want to leave as well? Lord, I, I, I think of and I pray that this would be our response when Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Father, you speak those in your, in your book. You tell us that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Father, I pray if there's anyone here today, young, old, man, woman, who has seen the reality of their sin against you, a holy God, and is in despair about what do I do? How do I get eternal life with these sins standing in the way? I pray that they would see Jesus and His sacrifice on the cross and His spilled blood and broken body is the only remedy, the only remedy. And I pray that they would repent and turn to you, turn to the Lord Jesus Christ for forgiveness. Pray that they would believe that he was buried, but on the third day he was raised. And he lives today sitting at the right hand of the Father. He sent the Holy Spirit into our hearts, giving us the power to do all that you've told us to do. Father, thank you for the reality of that. I pray that those who don't know you would today Again, turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, as we get ready to exit this place, thank you for the opportunity as we have talked about the evangelistic nature of this. I pray that we would go remembering that we do what we do for your glory and for our good and for the good of those that we will bump into this next week. So, Father, thank you for all of that. We pray this in Jesus' name.